0: the benefits are massive, we all see the benefits immediately, we we have not yet seen the harms that probably are there somewhere, we just don't know what they are.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Decipher Health Tech podcast, where we explore the intersection of technology, healthcare, and business. My name is Mohammed.
2: I'm Haider, and today we're talking to Graham Walker, who's the Assistant Physician-in-Chief Technology and innovation at Kaiser, a former CMIO at Kaiser Northern. He's an emergency physician. He's the founder of MD Calc. Uh, he's absolutely a heavy hitter in the intersection of medicine and technology. And we had a really great conversation with him. We're really excited to bring it to you. Hey, Graham, we're right. so excited to have you on and thank you so much for, for making the time to chat with us.
0: Yeah, it is. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me as your uh, official first guest.
1: Graham's someone I've known for a little while. He's a emergency medicine physician and was, I guess I could say now, former, formerly CMIO at So I heard the new promotion. So I'll let you kind of explain that. And then he founded uh, MD calc, which I'm pretty sure everyone's used at least once. Um, so you want to tell us about your new new role within within the system or still kind of figuring that out?
0: I don't know the exact details of it yet, um, but yeah, so I, I've been doing kind of tech operations um, and in charge of our one of our medical centers where I practice clinically at uh, Kaiser San Francisco, and, um, and I'm going to be doing some sort of technology innovation, new technologies AI uh, role where I'm trying to help get bring new technologies into the organization find ways of kind of me being more efficient refreshing some of our you know older processes and systems it's still uh, i don't have a title still figuring it out uh, but it's a it's a great opportunity to kind of work on some really big system challenges and try to make healthcare a lot better for our patients and our my co- you know my colleagues and staff and everybody too
1: so what's been um I guess in general, you've you've dealt with deploying technologies within the system. Not so much from the technical side, but from the clinical side. Um, what what's kind of been your experience with that whole process of a new technology being pushed into like the clinical workflow?
0: Yeah, yeah that's a great question. That that really is what I what I've been doing is hey we have this new technology or we have an upgrade to the technology or we have a new feature whether it is literally an iPhone you know uh, we we provide iPhones to all of our clinicians to an, a new iPhone app to you know an upgrade or new features in our Epic uh, EHR installation um you know how do you get people to adopt those understand them and also kind of on a a broader level uh, understand how they can be used and kind of what they do and uh, applying that to then the workflows of for a physician okay i need to do this thing it's a big challenge and i'll say the the the, there are lots of reasons for the challenge excuse me first is physicians are, you know, extremely well-trained humans in medicine, but we are humans. There's a wide range of technical ability and interest in technology for physicians. There are some like myself who love technology, would certainly be on that early adopter um you know innovation adoption uh bell curve but there are a a number of people who are stragglers and because their technology just doesn't interest or excite them and you know change is extremely hard especially in medicine where you tend to do things in a certain way. A lot of things tend to get programmed into you during residency in terms of clinical stuff, right? I have a patient with this problem and I know that I'm going to handle it this way because that's how I was trained to do it. That has worked for me in the past and it's not caused patients to be harmed. It's given me good outcomes with my patients. And so I'm going to keep doing it that way. So change is certainly hard for for every, every human, but I think especially for physicians, we tend to be slow to change because it, it, it comes from a good place, right? It's not, it, it's you trying to do things that you know work that are safe because you, you want to have good outcomes for your patients and you don't want to have harms for your patients.
2: So about that that change management process, I think that's, that's one that's echoed across many, many different industries. I'm so curious about whether when you're trying to implement maybe a change that you believe in, and if you have an example there of, is it, is it sort of a top-down change management where things are mandated, or is this something where each individual physician would need to be convinced to
0: use, say, a new tech that, that you're really excited about deploying? Sure, that's a great question, Hydro. We try to have top-down and bottom-up because no one likes top-down. But it's obvious, you know, the the bottom-up challenge is is getting uh, all, getting each individual person to understand all of those technologies. The other piece that's that's a big challenge is time, right? You want a physician to be seeing patients as much as they can, not just for economic reasons, because we we tend to be expensive, you know, expensive pieces of the health system, but also because. You've, there's lots of patients who need care. And so, finding that balance of how much time should we allocate for physicians to get trained in new technology versus how much time should they be doing with patient care is always a challenge. It, it probably will be an eternal struggle to figure out what the right balance is. And it's going to change for new, for, for different technologies. Uh, I would say the way that we tend to do it in our organization is there are lots of technologies that get kind of approved top-down, and then how they are implemented and, impl- and applied always is going to include the, the bottom-up approach of the, the frontline physician. So just uh, an example, we have a role in every single department. It's called the department tech lead, or the, the DTL, and their physician. And it is their job to take these technologies, kind of evangelize and explain them and help train their colleagues on them. Because it's you know it would often be too much to try to have every single physician get trained in this. And then really to understand them well enough to say, okay, I'm an ER doctor, I'm gonna use this say chat technology in a certain way versus mo's a gi doctor how is mo going to use it in a very vastly different way than i am because you know i I work in a 24 7 department i don't do outpatient care but mo does mo does inpatient and procedures so it, that's why it's absolutely key that you have a physician involved in all this stuff and from each department, because I have literally no idea what Mo does. I have a general sense of what a colonoscopy is and what he what types of patients he'll see in clinic. And I obviously interact with gastroenterologists all the time, but the actual stuff of how he gets through his day and how he gets his, his work done, I have literally no idea, you know?
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a pretty pretty interesting point there on on the health system side. I mean, you with your clinical background, you kind of get that. And your experience in deploying kind of solutions across the system, um, you've seen the pushback or kind of the issues that can arise as that deployment progresses. Um, I think that's an important thing that a lot of founders, especially technical founders in the space that may not have that clinical background realize coming in is that there's no like blanket medicine like you're not building an app for a hospital you're building an app for the end users So i think that's a super interesting point what strategies have you found kind of successful in getting buy-in from people that are just kind of really adamant at not not
0: going down that road it's a great question uh you cannot over communicate anything because all of the people that i'm communicating with are extremely busy. And I respect all of the care that they deliver and all of their expertise. I rely on it myself when I'm calling a consultant in the ER. You absolutely cannot over communicate things too much because sometimes people are on vacation or they've been too busy to check their email and so having a mixture of media and methods to communicate the change is important the, the worst thing you can the, the worst thing that can happen is when you are rolling out a change and your end user doesn't know about it like doesn't know it exists it's one thing if they're like I'll learn about this later. I'm going to keep doing my same workflow and maybe I'll try this out in the future. But the worst is, Hey, we, we actually changed your workflow. You can't do things the way you used to. Um, and you know, we changed it for any number of reasons. Sometimes Epic will say it's time to change, uh, because that's the way their software package is going. And, you know, we, we buy a software package. We don't have full control over everything. So, that's the that's the worst case scenario is when you th- you've tried over communicate things and people still don't know about it because then they kind of can't go get through their day or they're panicking because the screen looks different and you know what they've what they've tried to do in the past doesn't work anymore
1: the screen looking differently was that like the quarterly updates that epic pushes or whatnot i think now they're pushing it more frequently but every time that happens at our hospital it's complete chaos right everyone every attending is just like it's absolute chaos how do yeah. we do this again
0: and uh, and and you could imagine that if you had you know if you gave every physician four hours a week this would not be an issue right they would have dedicated time and an hour a day, or you know, 45 minutes a day, to just focus on the technology changes—that would be a non-issue. But imagine the impact to your ability to care for patients. And you know, you're taking away—you know—a tenth. Say, you know, if, if you're lucky, a physician is working 40 hours a week. Most work many more than that. But you're saying, okay, a tenth of my time, I'm going to dedicate to learning and education as opposed to delivering patient care. That's a, you know, that's a drastic, drastic cut in your ability to to see patients.
2: Do you feel like because of that, and I I guess because the, the opportunity cost is so high for the the people that sort of need to dedicate time to to learning things, is the hurdle really high for new tech that if we're going to make a change, it really needs to make a big difference? as opposed to sort of smaller incremental improvements?
0: That's a great question. I would say it it depends. So sometimes, you know, a technology is aging out and so we we have to change, right? And so that's, you know, it's almost like if a, a new government regulation comes up, it's like, well, yeah, we don't really have a choice on this. We think the current state of affairs is fine some new regulation has changed in california or nationally that says yep we have to change this and so you just are kind of your, your hand is forced and then you know there's a lot of technologies that solve problems i would say really well for some groups of people and then don't solve the problems they, they solve the problem they, they kind of or barely solve the problem for other groups of people and so Really, I mean, with the, the week a new technology is released or a new feature is released, almost immediately, there are feature requests begin from the end users. And it's like, hey, w- this would be, th- this works okay for me, but it'd be really great if the patient's medical record number would show up on the screen as well, or, um, you know, or I could include a, a, you know, attach my note to this lab value, you know, whatever it is, because you start to realize, okay, well, this use case um, works really well for an ER doctor, but it doesn't work at all for an ambulatory doctor or vice versa. And then you start to have people saying, gosh, we have three ways of doing this, one that works for the ER, one that works for the ICU, and one that works for the GI suite. Wouldn't it be great if we could have one tool that does all three of those things? for obvious reasons, for efficiency and for not having to do things multiple ways. So that's often a challenge too, is we solve one problem for one group of people. And then it's great that we have people that are like, oh great, let's add this new feature because it would solve this new problem. But um, it often ends up into like a a feature request and a, a scope creep a little bit as well, which is a challenge because the way that Stuff gets rolled out most of the time is like there's a start date, there's a project rollout, and there's an end date, not a kind of continuous cycle of okay, let's build this and now add a feature and do kind of a, a QA process to it.
1: I'm gonna shift, shift gears just a little bit here, kind of move you out of the health system hat into the developer side. So you you had MD Calc and sure. that apps used individually. By a lot of physicians but i think you've started you guys have that epic plugin now and you're integrating into emrs yeah um so how's that process been in kind of getting that app accepted into a health system or well, getting a health to, system to make that investment
2: sorry to cut you off there my i i did just would love graham to just explain the background and history of md calc just to start off there because you know i mo had told me about it um a while ago and it was such a cool cool tool and i'd just love to hear you talk a little bit about the sure the advent of it and how that's how that's been going to date
0: yeah sure yeah you know it's it's funny like like most said most most physicians know it and use it but you get out you, you get barely outside of clinical medicine and people are like oh what what is that thing so yeah you know um MD-Calc is a free app and website and like like most said uh now an ehr tool as well and it allows physicians to answer clinical questions about patients usually it's it's pretty uh, pretty focused clinical questions it's not you know my patient has a cough what test should i do or what things could be causing the cough it is uh, I'll, I'll use a GI example. It is, I know that my patient is having bleeding, internal bleeding from their stomach. Do they need to be admitted to the hospital or not? Now, you would think, oh my God, internal bleeding. Everybody should be admitted to the hospital. And most of the time, that is correct. But there, there are a few times when it's, you know, a young, healthy person, and maybe they drink too much alcohol, and they've been vomiting a few times, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of internal bleeding. But there's evidence that it stopped, their vital signs are okay, their blood counts aren't dropping. So I, as an ER doctor, might say, hey, I think I might might enter in this patient's information into an calc tool, which, and and the tools are all based on publicly accessible research and data that have mostly been validated and kind of, you know, seemingly to be high quality. And I might say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna punch in your vital signs and your heart rate and your blood count and your age. And the tool might say, yeah, the, the research suggests that this patient's okay to go home versus, or it might say, yeah, hey, this person's kinda high risk. They should they should stay in the hospital. I, I built it years ago because there are lots of tools like that. We're up to, I think, over 700 now on MDCal, but there are many research tools like this that for a long time just lived on in in academic papers they have sat on sat in pdfs on web web pages sometimes in little reference books but there wasn't a digital tool that kind of collected them all or made them easy to access and that's what i think i've i've become pretty good at is implement the implementation of of getting research and tools and even technology implement implementing them and getting them into the hands of physicians who will use them it's kind of its own science of making a tool that is has the appropriate level of detail and the appropriate level of um, transparency to make it clear for physicians how and when and why they might want to use one of these tools and we slowly kind of grown the, the initially the website and then started adding an Android and iPhone app, and like like Mo said, uh, a couple years ago, we started working with some pilot partners to get our tool into the EHR, which then can automatically pull in that data, as opposed to the physician having to look on one screen and say, okay, what's the heart rate? Oh, 93, and type in 93, you know, it pulls in all that data seamlessly, it makes it easier and and safer for the physician to to use that that same tool.
2: That seems like the most useful thing like it's it it almost seems so useful that that people might get completely dependent on it have you had any issues where suddenly you i mean is it 100 percent uptime required because i would it, become it, completely it, addicted to it
0: yeah you know the, one of the biggest challenges i i you know i built it during med school but one of the biggest challenges during residency was you know, in residency, you're working a lot of hours. And it was just me. I didn't, there was not a team of people that we now have to support it. And so I would be like on a night shift uh, or sleeping past a night shift. And one of my friends would text me and wake me up and say, Graham, MD Calc is down. I would wake up in a panic because I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm okay at programming. I'm certainly not a um, back end server administrator to know when this thing goes down, how to magically get it back up. And so you're absolutely right. We have become the the Kleenex of facial tissue. We, you know, we've been around long enough, and we have enough people who kind of grew up using MD Calc and are now fellows like Mo or attendings that um, that they now teach people. Oh, the, the way to solve this problem is you just go to MD Calc or you open the MD Calc app. Um, So, yes, uptime is extremely important. You know, we do, we are installed on, you know, very, very, very many physicians' phones and our app does work offline. So, at least people, you know, still have access to the tools. And we always include, uh, you know, when when it's possible to, we always include the math of how you would manually calculate this partially so that people can double check their their work. And, you know, God forbid, we did go down, they could manually punch in the information into a calculator if they really needed to. But yeah, it's, um, we, uh, we have become kind of, you know, the place to go when you have this type of clinical question, which is wonderful. It's, you know, it's amazing to have, you know, millions upon millions of physicians and you know, NPs and PAs and other groups of people who are taking care of patients using our tool daily to uh, to help take better care of patients. It's really rewarding.
1: Uh, back to my question there was, so how's that transition been going from being, um, I guess not a transition, you guys are still a very clinician-focused tool and app, um, but how has it been marketing it to health systems or trying to get systems outside of your own to adopt it into
0: their EHR yeah you know if you ask any of the physicians that work in a health system they're they all know us and use us and and love us so but you know it's interesting the physicians that are seeing the patients aren't aren't the ones writing the check for a a pilot or a partnership or something like that so you know, one of the challenges has just been that the technology on our end and with the EHRs to to make this EHR integration possible, it all kind of came out or in like late 2019 was when we started to really be able to be like, okay, we can, we think we can make this happen, and then COVID happened, and then you know the world fell apart and everything changed and. You know, as, as you probably saw in the news, you know, last year, I, I think it was something like 89% of hospitals and health systems lost money last year. And I think this year is probably on track to be similarly quite challenging for health systems as well. Um, so, you know, it, that's just been, that's just going to be a challenge for any, um, any company trying to work with an industry that is trying to figure out where they can, you know, save money and cut costs and not add new and features and balance that all out you know
2: I was just gonna say it seems like with the physicians on board it seems like at least from the outside that that's a that's a sure sale right you have the the super users in space are super excited about the product uh I guess what types of hurdles and what types of issues have you run into and I guess then you're going up through Maybe an office like CMIO and then maybe to some sort of finance department that needs to ultimately write the check. How is that? I guess
0: could we drill into that process a little bit more? Sure. I mean the the you know the the biggest thing for, for anybody looking at buying a new technology is ROI and um, you know, especially now, people want hard hard numbers. They don't want, um, the physicians love this, or, uh, you know, we, we think this will make, um, people more evidence-based that that's, unfortunately, that's not, um, that's not sufficient much of the time. Sometimes it is, but, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's, um, you, you need really hard, um, kind of return on investment to get people to, to say, yeah, let's, you know, dip our toe into the water and give
1: this a try yes how would you show that kind of long-term return i know like a lot of scores on calc, you're not going to see if you utilize them you're not going to see that return on investment in the next week or two weeks but you might see it in the next year two years five years ten years Um, yeah and kind of how is your process in demonstrating that or how do you try to show that
0: yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's the challenge with all of healthcare, right, is most of the time you're going to have really long um, outcome cycles showing either benefit or, or product adoption, like we talked about earlier, just because, you know, people are slow to change in healthcare. If they're not forced to change, I would say generally doctors are not going to change, or, or at least a, a, a large minority of doctors are not going to change unless they're kind of forced to, or unless you build a tool that really, really helps them. I mean, I'm, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent mode, but I really think if you build a tool like MDCalc or you know any other tool that truly solves a pain point for a physician, you will not have to spend much money on marketing or promotion. Um, If you build a really good tool and make it easily accessible, uh, I think physicians will rapidly adopt it because word will spread from physician to physician, you know, if, if I found a new tool that I was like, Oh my God, have you guys seen this? I would probably immediately send it to our little chat group that Mo and I have with a bunch of doctors, online doctor friends that we have together and tell people, Oh my God, you should use this. Here's why. And, and that would happen everywhere. So that's the other piece of it is. You know, if you build it and it solves their problem and you don't put hurdles for them to access it, they will. Just immediately start using the thing, uh, and but I guess the the caveat is you really need to get rid of as many hurdles as possible. Uh, I'm sure Mo knows uh, people that if you had the smallest little hurdle of like having to type in a username and password, people would just be like, next, I'll go on to the next web page or i'll revert to my old way of doing things like it is it's that minimal of a of a hurdle of a blockade because people tend to be so busy so much want to do the right thing and their default is always going to be to do the things the way they've done them that even if it was like you know from CAPTCHA, where it was like, what's 2 plus 2? People, so many doctors would be like, Yeah, screw this. I'm going to go to Wikipedia. You know, people would go to a even, yeah, I really think people would even go to a less good resource um, but that doesn't have a hurdle in their way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always laugh. I get these uh, emails from the journals. And these are journals I'm signed up to and I have a subscription for. And I'll click on the link in the email, and it will take me to a login page. And I'll immediately stop reading that article right there. And there. like, I don't remember my
0: login. Yes. It's a perfect example. I, I, years ago, the New England Journal had a I think they might still have this product called Journal Watch, and you could get free email summaries from any specialty that you wanted. So I signed up for emergency medicine and, I don't know, maybe cardiology and primary care because it was a pretty useful thing. And then they started to lock it down and make it much less useful. So now every time I try to take the five seconds to just unsubscribe, I have to log into my account to subscribe. And now I've just I made a Gmail filter that just sends all those to the trash. And to spam because i i just refuse to take the effort to f- click the re- cl- click the forgot password thing on my new england journal account and then get a repeat get a new email to make a new password i'm like i don't even want this in at all i might as well just send it all the trash <laughs> so,
1: I, I will note there is no login page on md calc at least not one i've found i'm sure graham's got a secret login page so we do
0: have uh, well, we know we, we do have logins and people can save their favorites and stuff, but um, and and we do have login. We do have uh, users. Um, I mean, you're auto logged in, but we do have user kind of user accounts on the EHR product so that people can um, save favorites internally on in the EHR product. And so that uh, when they enter their specialty, the the main page will actually show um calculators based on their specialty as well yeah you're you're absolutely right mo most of our users are not logged in on on the web on the phones and stuff they are because you have to have an account on the phones mm-hmm.
1: so i know we talked a little bit about clinical decision support and md calc there and i think the darling in the room right now is ai and where where do you see that going i've heard of it yeah (laughs) i know you've been been writing prolifically on linkedin uh about if if anyone's not read that
2: article we'll drop a link in in the in the notes at the bottom there um sort of talking through the effectiveness of chat gpt at specific tasks in the er is fascinating
0: thanks thanks yeah i think ai is uh i think you know ai is a perfect example of you build a tool that solves a certain problem for people and the adoption is rapid right i mean they they open ai i think a hun- hit 100 million user accounts for chat gpt within what was it a month or a week it was, it was something that was you know much faster than netflix or instagram or tiktok or any other tool has ever seen it's it's now the fastest it's now has the record and So I think it's a great example. Physicians are no different than other humans. A ton of people made accounts because they found it to be a useful thing to to solve certain problems. I think what I would really like to see, I was actually just thinking about this for another article. What I would really love to see, and that I'm I'm actually working on in the background while this is, while we're talking, is I have, The NHS just released a large language model themselves, and I'm training it on my computer while we're talking. But what I would really love to see is Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, whoever, come up with a large language model or use the NHS one, whatever, that kind of levels the playing field. And maybe there's some FDA or some other regulatory body that says, okay, this is – ready for use and it's been validated and tested extensively it's ready for use with chat bots for patients that like okay we think this is a good tool that's going to be that's acceptably good at giving some basic recommendations for for patients and obviously we can have it skew extremely conservative in terms of you know if you say the words chest and pain it just tells you go to the er <laughs> um or you know that uh, you, you have you're describing, you know, really basic pink eye, it tells you some basic treatments to manage pink eye, wash your hands, use cold compresses, whatever. So I would love to see some sort of generative tool that has been tested extensively validated with clinicians and with pay- and with a group of patients. And we get some sort of agreement that okay, hey, you you could you know health systems, doctors' offices, you could try this thing, and maybe you can modify it to make it better. But at least there's some standard because the biggest concern is since this stuff is generative, you don't really know what you're going to get on the other side, and you you think, gosh, um, I'm going to build this tool and so far, it's never told a patient with crushing chest pain to stay at home and see what happens. But because there's just not, um, because it's generative and you really just don't know what it's gonna say, I think it needs to be extensively tested um, to uh, to make sure that it's safe and appropriate for, for patients. And, and even a tool, say a tool that was just used for physicians, either to communicate with each other or to summarize data in a medical record, uh, I think we need extensive validation on the stuff to make sure that it's accurate and safe for usage. Because the the benefits are massive, we all see the benefits immediately. But we are we have not yet seen the harms that probably are there somewhere. We just don't know what they are necessarily just yet. Um, and I hope the harms are obviously rare and. And uncommon but we just you know we need to be cautious with any new technology whether it's a ct scanner or handheld ultrasound or new blood test all tools in medicine have good and bad they all have sensitivity and specificity and positive likelihood ratios and negative likelihood ratios and they all have and they they'll all will also have scope creep so you know the, the example i love to use is cpr was initially intended to be used on young, healthy people who happened to have a cardiac arrest in the operating room. They were getting anesthesia that caused them to have an arrhythmia that was fatal, and they were like, oh my god, yeah, look, we did this thing where we pushed on their chest and their heart started again. It was amazing. Well, CPR was not ever, you know, I don't think whoever came up with CPR initially, really thought, oh, we should use this on a hundred year old who has pneumonia and dementia and will never make a meaningful recovery um, if their heart stops, right? So just like CPR is a tool that we have scope creep, we will have chat GPT scope creep as well, where we start using it for, um, to supervise chat with a patient and then someone will say well if it works so well for that maybe we should just have patients talk right with the chatbot and never supervise it or you know and and that's when you especially start to run into problems when you have scope creep about using this test for a new indication as well we see that all the time
2: i'm curious it sounds like it sounds like you do consider this type of tool a paradigm shift and and you know you're uniquely qualified sort of coming from the MD calc space, which is very much a decision support tool. Although very much deterministic. Yes. So you do see these these new tools, these LLMs coming out as a paradigm shift for something that does potentially have applications.
0: Oh, absolutely. 100 percent. If we can make sure that they're safe, I think they can dramatically improve Healthcare in a number of ways for patients in terms of better communication and understanding for patients of what their disease process is for their ability for physicians to gather information more accurately and and faster and summarize information you know there are just petabytes of data um, especially for the more complex and the sicker patients that no physician can read every single note um, to really understand all that's gone on with the patient, but a you know a, a, an AI chatbot that understands that um, I'm an ER doctor, so please summarize this patient in a way that's meaningful to me and what's relevant to my practice uh, would be extremely helpful. And you know the other the other piece is, I would love to be able to have. 30 minutes to sit down with every single one of my patients and answer every single one of their questions and um, explain everything and be able to help with their anxiety about their diagnosis or the uncertainty of the fact that I don't know why they're having chest pain, whatever it is, right? I simply do not have, that's not how our healthcare system is built. It is not built for an ER doctor or a GI doctor or anybody to have 30 minutes a patient to sit down with them and say, here's how your gallbladder works and here's where the gallstone is and here's the typical treatment course and here's why we're gonna do what we're gonna do. Much of the time, it's like, oh, they've got a gallstone in their common bile duct, call GI, treat their pain, next patient. That's not great for patients. I would love to be able to explain everything. Um, and and you know the nurses are wonderful at helping with that as well. But, but, you know, a, a chat GPT tool has infinite time to answer every single question. Now, again, those questions need to be accurate. They need to not say, oh, you need you need emergency surgery, because that's gonna make things worse, because if the patient doesn't need emergency surgery, but imagine a you know a patient that broke their leg, being able to ask a approved, validated chat doctor, so can I walk on my leg? How long will I be in a cast? All of these questions that everybody has that we do our best to answer, but that we we probably don't always succeed in being in meeting the patient's needs and expectations because the, the time is just not there.
1: Awesome, I think that' that's about 40 minutes. Right, I'm sure we could probably go on for another another whole hour. I know Graham and I have (laughs) had some fairly long conversations um, in the past, but I know um, you're mainly on LinkedIn now, Um, I think, as far as social media goes, if people want to hunt you.
0: Yeah. That's where I'm I'm spending most of my time. Yeah. Twitter became too much of a cesspool, so I kind of left Twitter um, where I I was pretty uh, very active, I would say. So yeah, mostly kind of talking about AI and emergency medicine. And just kind of clinical medicine and technology on LinkedIn, um, Graham Walker, MD, and um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a great new place to write content and interact with other people that are interested in the space too.
1: Nice. Any any exciting new projects going on that you want to share or tell people about or? Anything you're excited about? Coming uh,
0: we're we're starting to figure out. Yeah, we're starting to figure out where AI fits in with MD Calc. Just like uh, you know, every company and every industry is trying to figure out where does AI fit in with um, with their industry. Um, both from a curiosity perspective and a you know a little bit of fear, like, well, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to MD Calc? So, um, I, nothing to announce just yet. But we're we're definitely uh, we definitely have big plans that we're trying to figure out in terms of uh using ai for uh for better tools on md calc and and you know what we've always tried to do which is just better better take help patients help doctors take better care of patients
2: that seems like a spectacular opportunity thanks so much graham for uh yeah for talking with us today and we really really appreciate it
0: thanks guys it's been wonderful
1: we just had a great podcast um with graham walker talked about way more information than I expected that we'd be able to squeeze in in 45 minutes. Um, so yeah, we, we're going to try to make this a habit on all of our podcasts at the end to go over some kind of closing notes, lessons learned um, from from our yeah, conversation. Yeah, just
2: trying to get, to get to three bullet points. And you know, the first one, the first one that came to mind was obviously that Graham, in his two types of professional opinion, AI has applications in the ER and beyond. It's just a matter of figuring out what shape it's gonna be. It's a matter of getting the testing and the approvals and making sure that it's reliable, but he is excited about it in the space. And he is also concerned about it disrupting his literal startup. So if he's if he's thinking, if he's a believer in it, I mean, I think to me, that's that's the most qualified opinion Uh, that you could get around will ai play a role um at least on the decision support side for a physician yeah
1: i think an interesting point he made for me was that um you know despite him having md calc which is an app which is on many many physicians phones um and used regularly they still have a hard time getting buy-in on the health system side because health systems are losing money. Everyone's losing money in this economy. So you have to be able to show return on investment with whatever you're creating, especially if you're going to market at that health system level. It doesn't matter if you have all the physician buy-in in the world.
2: Yeah. ROI is king. ROI is king. I mean, the last thing that I took away was that user experience hurdles are universal. Uh, reducing one click in a process makes it much easier to deploy that process. The hurdles that you run into in change management are always there. And so anyone that's developing to, to deploy into this environment, really, really be cognizant about what that user experience is like and streamlining it at almost all costs, except for ROI, right? Just refer to point number two.
1: Absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed our our first uh podcast episode um we'll have a website that will be up by the time this podcast uh releases decipherhelptech.com all our social media links will be on there so if you want to reach out to us uh, with any questions or comments or just throw us a follow um you guys can do it there
2: thanks for listening